Hello, and welcome to Soulful Quests. Before I discuss this next episode, I wanted to clarify something. As I relate my experiences from childhood and from my later years in life, I realize that all of our experiences are very different. Therefore, my goal in beginning this podcast was to relate my life experiences, which included interpersonal relationships, and describe how the principles of psychology and spirituality helped me understand myself. Plus, they provided a way for me to draw upon the practices of prayer and reading the scriptures. I believe that you will be able to draw on my experiences in a way that will help you to discover your personal truth, gain insight into the logic behind certain behaviors, and find your potential and purpose. Interpersonal relationships are not confined to a certain period in life, such as childhood or adolescence. They are lifelong. Many of the aspects that I present to you concerning my relationships may not be identical to your experiences, but the principles of how I dealt with those relationships may have meaning for you. That is my hope in bringing you this podcast. Lastly, I share these experiences with you not to focus on the negative aspects of my life, but to explain what I learned from them later on. It's important when looking at past experiences, particularly the negative ones, to consider what was learned from them. I relate my experiences to you not from the role of a victim, but from my search to understand the interpersonal dynamics of that relationship and how I was able to move past the emotional and medical obstacles I confronted. I'm going to be drawing on a couple books that I found that I think are very helpful. I know they were very helpful to me, and I think you will find that uh, too. The first book is by Robert Jackman, who is a certified psychotherapist and is with the National Board of Certified Counselors. He wrote a book called Healing Your Lost Inner Child, How to Stop Impulsive Reactions, Set Healthy Boundaries, and Embrace an Authentic Life. Now, last episode, I talked about living in the shadows of childhood, and this time I'm going to continue my focus on that. So we're going to talk a little bit about healing the inner child, and what Robert Jackman had to say about that is that he wanted to discuss, first of all, the complex feelings that we may have concerning our parents or guardians. First of all, regarding my parents, I knew they were doing the best they could. I didn't know that during my childhood or later in life, but as I began to learn more about myself, with the help of studying psychology, I was able to finally realize that they truly were doing the best that they knew how to do. It was very tempting to put the entire blame on them, but I had to suspend that blame because what was more important was that I look at my situation objectively instead of getting lost, blaming and finger-pointing. Jackman relates that by doing this, we are showing a respectful regard for the human experience knowing that we all have our struggles and triumphs, and that most of us have many unresolved woundings, including our parents. 
Jackman relates that emotions are internal messengers trying to get our attention. Most people just push the signals down or ignore them altogether. You may have gotten used to feeling that wounding you carry and have become a member of what's called the walking wounded. You may think, well, I know this has happened to me, but that was a long time ago, and I don't want to remember it anymore. But the pain is going to stay with you, trying to find a way to get you to acknowledge it. It is not going anywhere until you deal with it. It is going to keep showing up, usually indirectly, throwing you off course, off balance, and contributing to depression and anxiety. Now, Jackman states that our pain is looking for acknowledgement. Once we connect to our wounding, a doorway for healing will open. We have to learn how to give to ourselves as adults what we didn't receive in childhood. The next author I want to uh, talk about is Alice Miller. She was a Swiss psychologist, psychoanalyst, and philosopher. I believe it was in 1979 she wrote the book The Drama of the Gifted Child, The Search for the True Self. It's the revised edition. Now, when you see the word gifted, it doesn't mean what typically we think of or what I thought of, which is very intellectually brilliant uh, child with an IQ of 130 or more. What Alice Miller was talking about was an intuitiveness that this child has, a keen sensitivity to the needs of others. That's what gifted means, and I just want you to keep that in mind as I uh, relate to you this book and what I've learned from it. So Alice Miller's book explored the psychological impacts of a child's upbringing, particularly when a child is raised by parents who focus only on their needs and who fail to consider their child's feelings and needs. Now, the book suggests that such children often grow up to be overly attuned to the needs and desires of others, but often at the expense of their own needs and feelings. When I began studying psychology in undergraduate and graduate school, I began to see glimmers of insights into how my past experiences formed me over the years. I had such an avid desire to learn, and I didn't limit myself to the psychology textbooks, but looked for those written by reputable psychologists and counselors. I came across Alice Miller's book, and I was stunned at how her words so closely described what I went through as a child. I had never encountered such a book before. I'm going to use some excerpts from that book, which helped me to understand why I behaved the way I did during my childhood and in my later years, and how I could only heal by facing the reality of what happened to me. Now, Alice Miller says that in order to become whole, we must try to discover our own personal truth. Now that's going to involve a long process which may be painful to face, but it is the road to healing. Now what did Alice Miller mean by personal truth? 
she felt, first of all, that if you can discover your own personal truth, it can be a means of healing and personal growth. So when she says personal truth, she's suggesting that we should delve into our own emotions, experiences, and memories rather than conforming to what society expects of us or what our family expects of us. So when you find your personal truth, that means it involves understanding and accepting your authentic feelings, your needs, and your experiences, which may have been suppressed or denied in the past. It's about recognizing and coming to terms with the impact of childhood experiences on your adult life, allowing you to heal and grow as an individual. Now, Alice Miller focuses her attention on the mother. She says that there, there was a mother who, at the core of her being, she was emotionally insecure and who depended for her equilibrium on her child behaving in a particular way. And the most efficacious objects for substitute gratification are a parent's own children. So the newborn baby who is small and is completely dependent on her parents, and since their caring is essential for her existence, she does all she can to avoid losing them. The child has an amazing ability to perceive and respond intuitively, that is, unconsciously, to this need of the mother or of both parents. For her to take on the role that had unconsciously been assigned to her by the mother. This role secured love for the child. She could sense that she was needed, and this need guaranteed her a measure of existential security. She eventually developed a special sensitivity to unconscious signals that showed her the needs of others. So it wasn't just related to the mother that she was intuitively aware of her needs, but it gradually developed into that gift for other people seeing their needs. When I first read Miller's book, I couldn't believe how it perfectly described my childhood and early adolescence. Recall in my first episode that I explained to you what the sister did to me in math class, telling my mom I should be placed in a school for the mentally retarded. And I remember when those words, having been combined with being born with epilepsy, I began seeing that I was being treated in a way that only saw what I couldn't do, blaming it on a learning disability which I was never diagnosed with by a medical professional. It was just assumed. And as a result, my parents didn't see a normal life for me, but one of needing to be cared for by them, particularly by my mom. I was never encouraged to think about my future, such as going to college, having a career, etc. And because of that void, the following words of Alice Miller described my emotional and mental state. Miller writes, She cannot develop and differentiate her true self because she is unable to live it. This person will complain of a sense of emptiness, futility, 
or homelessness. For the emptiness is real. A process of emptying, impoverishment, and crippling of her potential actually took place. Both parties have an interest in bond permanence. The mother doesn't want to see the bond broken, neither does the child. She has no sense of her own real needs and is alienated from herself to the highest degree. Under these circumstances, she cannot separate from her parents, and even as an adult, she is still dependent on affirmation from her partner, from groups, and if she's a parent, especially from her own children. The child feels totally misunderstood and experiences a feeling of profound loneliness. The child has a primary need from the very beginning of her life to be regarded and respected as the person she really is at any given time. And to avoid losing the love of our parents, she was compelled to gratify her unconscious needs at the cost of her own emotional development. It is only in an atmosphere of respect and tolerance for her feelings that the child can separate from the parents and be able to give up symbiosis with the mother and accomplish the steps toward individuation and autonomy. Now, I just want to mention a, a brief uh, explanation of the lack of symbiosis and individuation because it refers to the process where a child separates from the mother to become an indiv independent individual. So in a healthy scenario, a child is allowed to separate from the mother and develop their own identity. If this doesn't occur, the boundaries between a mother and child are blurred, leading to an unhealthy level of emotional interdependence. And this can result in the child feeling responsible for the mother's emotional well-being, often leading the child to suppress her own needs and feelings to keep the mother happy. Now, if I could just uh, talk about how that applied in a few ways in my life, is that my mother looked to me to meet her needs. That She had different physical problems, and uh, I was always the one being at home to take her to the doctor, to listen what the doctor had to say about how she should take care of herself, what medicine to take. You know, I kept that all in mind. And if she needed to go to a hospital, well, I took her. I was the one that took her there. I stayed with her from the uh, beginning of visiting hours to the end of visiting hours. Uh, I kept uh, alert to any of her physical needs. And if I saw that her uh, behavior was kind of off, you know, she was a very gregarious person, uh, a very uh, outgoing, and I remember uh, this one time uh, we were at an amusement park walking around, and she just was very tired, lethargic, and I thought, wow, that's not her. So I had her go to a doctor, and he examined her, and he discovered that she had colon cancer. And uh, I won't you know, get into that, but uh, she was uh, had surgery. She had a tumor the size of an orange, and uh, she had surgery for it. And uh, 
I didn't plan on bringing this into the, into the picture, but I can't help but share with you that my mother chose at 75 years of age to not get chemotherapy. In her church group, she learned of a young lady that had gone to Tijuana, Mexico, to a biomedical clinic who treated uh, cancer uh, patients with a specific tonic that was developed let's say uh, it was 25 years ago when my mother went they developed it in Texas to treat skin cancer and then as people came for other forms of cancer they noticed that the tonic was working well according to them the FDA came and they wanted the rights to that tonic and the the man who founded that clinic and that tonic said well I will give it to you if you put in writing that anyone that comes here does not have to pay if they don't have the money. Well, the FDA would not agree to that. And as a result, they told the group uh, and the clinic to leave the country or just to leave. And so this, these people, they're, they're regular medical doctors, also uh, uh, nutritionists. So they ended up in Tijuana, Mexico. And the way my mother got there, she, they, she flew to, uh, my dad took her to San Diego, where they stayed, uh, and then a, a van would come and pick them up, take them to the clinic, where she went for three days. They conducted all, you know, all their tests. They have regular equipment. It wasn't some uh, crazy group out the way out there. And uh, so she followed a specific diet because... It had to agree with the tonic that she was on. And she wasn't allowed to have any vinegar in her food because it clashed with the tonic. Well, my mother was Italian, and she loved her oil and vinegar. She loved her, you know, sauce. And I'll tell you, she was more upset about not being able to eat her food than getting treated uh, for, for cancer, for colon cancer. But I can just tell you, she went for a year, uh, I think like every three months or so. She went four times in the year. And, um, you know, her, her blood pressure uh, was lowered. That, that was, you know, something on the side. But it was amazing. And uh, I can tell you that uh, from the day that she concluded her treatment, remained on the tonic to the day she died at age 87. For 11 years, she was cancer-free. She did not die of cancer. Uh, she had congestive heart failure and passed away. So I didn't plan on sharing that with you, but, you know, it began with my recognizing that something was kind of off with her and her energy, and then I took her to the doctor because I felt that was my role. Uh, you know, I was like her caregiver. So uh, I'm grateful, you know, that she was spared the the uh, problem that comes with chemotherapy at that time in 1990. Uh, she had uh, she had chest problems, uh, gastroenteritis, I think they call it. And at, at that time with chemotherapy, you threw up a lot, and she just did not want to go through inflaming her chest. And, and well, then she was really worried about her hair. But uh, but it was the inflammation of the chest that worried me and my dad. But uh, And plus, she was 75 years old. And uh, so she made the decision. 
And we, we agreed with her to go to this clinic, and it really worked out, which I'm very grateful to the Lord for because many people were praying for her to have strength and courage as she had to face colon cancer. So Alice Miller here, I, you'll be able to relate to what I just what I just said here, is that children of such parents... Uh, they often feel compelled to meet their parents' expectations because they want to receive love and approval. So this can lead the child to suppress her own desires and needs. She's focusing more on the mother's uh, desires and needs, not her own. In fact, she doesn't even know her own needs and desires. So this can have long-term effects on her self-esteem and emotional health, which I can tell you from experience is really true. Now, Miller argues that a child can only experience their feelings when there is someone who accepts, understands, and supports them fully. If that person is missing, the child may repress their emotions, which can lead to long-term emotional and psychological issues. So you see here, this tells me how important it is for someone or a group to accept, understand, and support children. Because if that's missing, the child's going to repress her emotions. And so, you know, when, when you have kids in the home, you may think, oh, well, they're fine. They don't need my support. They don't need, you know, they don't need all this extra stuff. But they really do. They need to know you accept them, you understand, and support them fully. So if a child ha has this lack of emotional autonomy and an overemphasis on pleasing the mother, then these experiences will have a significant impact on how the child emotionally develops. And it may continue to affect her relationships and self-perception as an adult. So you see, these things don't end at childhood. That's just the beginning. Children are formed in those young, tender years. And that doesn't end when you turn 18 or 21, whatever is considered an adult. These things go on. And when you see an adult, no matter, no matter what age they are, you may see certain kind of behavior. Well, I've always said to myself, if I see a, a negative form of behavior, in my mind, I always say to them, I wonder what happened to them when they were younger. Because you're not born with that kind of behavior. You're formed, and you know, there's this debate about nature and nurture. What causes... A, a child to develop a certain way, to grow up into a certain way. And some battle over that, well, it's nature, it's not nurture. Others say it's nurture, it's not nature. Well, I say it's both. I say it's both. And this is a very important time in a child's life to have attention not only from the mother in a healthy way, but also from the father. Now, I'm going to be talking about that in upcoming episodes, about the crucial role that the father has in the life of the child.
So I shared with you these concepts from Robert Jackman and Alice Miller. And, you know, I want us not just to go away with information, but how can these ideas, especially Alice Miller's ideas, how can they be applied in our daily life? Well, there's some ideas that I found that uh, I thought were really good, and I wanted to share them with you. First, the first one is acknowledge and confront painful emotions. So Alice Miller believed that in order to heal from childhood trauma, and when I, when I say the word trauma, I'm not only including, you know, the more severe forms of trauma, but there's also the type of trauma where there's emotional uh, trauma. There could be verbal abuse. There could be uh, uh, other forms that, that affect a child's emotions. So the people that have gone through this, they must confront and accept the truth about their experiences, even if it is painful, and it's usually painful. I don't think this, this if goes there. It, it is painful. So we can apply this to our daily lives by acknowledging and confronting our own painful emotions. You know, don't push it away. Don't deny them. Emotions such as anger, sadness, or fear. I mean, with anger, you may say, oh, well, I shouldn't be this way. You know, I'm a bad person. But this is part of the reaction and response from what has happened to, to a child. And the sadness and fear, that's very understandable. So if we confront it, then we can begin to understand the root causes of those emotions and work towards healing. Now, in my case... Um, I really didn't find a therapist who understood what Alice Miller was talking about. Um, I don't know if many really cared to, to find out about her because she was considered a psychoanalyst, also a psychologist, though. But she would go back to more Freudian uh, concepts, which... The way I think is I do go back to the childhood. I don't just say, well, the person coming to me at this moment, this is what they're experiencing, and it's because of what they're experiencing at that moment that's causing them to be a certain way. I, look, I like to look back and find out more from the person about life before they came to me so that I can get a better understanding of how experiences and circumstances formed them you know formation is something that happens in everyone's life over a, a long period of time just like growing up it takes years to grow up and become an adult well we're formed into a certain type of person and we have certain type of ways that are formed over the years so when we begin to understand root causes of emotions, then we can work towards healing. Number two, we can practice empathy and compassion. Miller emphasized the importance of empathy, compassion, and understanding, not only in rearing children, you know, raising children, but we can apply it to our daily lives 
by practicing empathy and compassion towards ourselves and others. Now think about that. You don't hear about that a whole lot. Uh, at least I never did. Having compassion, practicing empathy for yourself. I mean, I consider that being selfish years ago. You know, that was something selfish. Why would I do that? I want to think of other people. Uh, that to me is, is the, the way to go. Not thinking of myself, but see, I, w- I was uh, not correct in believing that. So we need to be kind and understanding towards ourselves when we make mistakes and extend that same kindness and understanding to others. Now, the third thing we can do after uh, to put into practice Alice Miller's concepts is to live authentically. You know, live our personal truth. This refers to you referring to your unique experiences and emotions, which may differ from society. And by discovering and accepting our personal truth, we can begin to live more authentic lives. So this means being true to ourselves and our values, even if it goes against society. Number four, help others. Miller believed that individuals who experienced childhood trauma could use their experiences to help others. So we can apply this to our daily lives by using our own experiences to help others who may be going through similar struggles. And this can be done through volunteering, mentoring, or simply being a supportive friend. And, you know, in friendships, understanding and support is really crucial to keeping that friendship and developing that friendship and seeing it grow. So, in conclusion, you can apply Alice Miller's ideas to your daily life by acknowledging and confronting painful emotions, by practicing empathy and compassion, living authentically, and helping others. So, that's... The conclusion for this uh, week's episode, um, I want you to think about the ways that what you learned about Alice Miller's uh, ideas about the mother and the child, you know, think about the, uh, the ways they can be applied in your daily life. And um, I would really uh, like to hear from you. I have my, I'll give you my email address. It's J-L-W-E-A-V-R at yahoo.com I would love to hear from you if if what I'm talking about is understandable if you can relate to it and another thing I think uh, might be helpful too is let's say you don't really relate to the things I'm talking about but maybe you know other people who are struggling and this some of this sounds kind of familiar to what you're seeing them struggling with So, you know, as Alice Miller said, help others. You know, let them listen to this podcast or to my other podcasts and uh, see if it can be of any help to them, an encouragement, a support. So um, please do that for me if you want to. So our next episode, we're going to be continuing with uh, talking about Another aspect of my journey that is incredible, uh, you know, Alice Miller mentioned that uh, we, as we become adults, you know, we'll look for to groups or, or to other things to uh, fill that emptiness and that need, 
And uh, I'll just throw a teaser out there. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I joined a religious cult. So I'll, I'll let you hanging with that, and uh, and you'll be hearing about that experience, uh, which not many people, at least still alive, have had. But uh, I think you'll find it fascinating. And, and as I bring in the spirituality, the spiritual aspects, and the psychological aspects, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So take care, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me on Soulful Quests.